With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, joined alongside with the man, the myth, the legend himself. He is Hooks Orpic, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Hello, doing great. Welcome everybody to the show, episode 28. And my favorite 28 in Penguins history. You were you were looking for this last week. I, I knew you were anticipating this all week long, looking forward to it. And my answer might surprise you. There's not really that great of players out there with the number 28. But uh, shout out Shell Samuelson. Shout out Marcus Pedersen. But I'm going with Michael Roosevelt as my favorite player who ever wore 28. Kind of back in the mid-90s, early 2000s. A pretty good defenseman who just played at, the, at some bad times on bad teams. Yeah, like you said, Jim, there aren't really a lot of... I don't want to trash these players, but... There's not a lot, especially for someone who's younger like myself. Um, I'm looking at more of the recent numbers, and there's not really a lot to go on. Uh, Eric Goddard is not someone who I think you and I both can look at and say, oh, yeah, he's, he was one heck of a number 28 in a Penguin uniform. Uh, Marcus Pedersen, like you said, currently holds the number now. So I guess I'll go with, by default, Ian Cole. Ian Cole, uh, that's a good one. I don't want to say he was instrumental in the Stanley Cup victory, especially the first one in 2016, but you can't forget his contribution to a championship squad. Uh, so I'll go with Ian Cole for number 28. Worthy pick. All righty, Jim. Let's dive right into it. We have a couple of games to talk about uh, since our last podcast, and I think the two biggest games were the games against the Detroit Red Wings and the Montreal Canadiens. The, in the Detroit Red Wings game, the Pittsburgh Penguins were up by a score of 4-1, to one, and slowly but surely, Jim, it looked like the Red Wings were, were starting to get some momentum as the later portions of that game were happening, especially in the third period where the Red Wings, um, the Red Wings scored two goals and an empty netter would seal the deal, making, making it a Pittsburgh Penguins victory 5-3. to three. Uh, it was a little bit shaky, especially since the Red Wings haven't been all of that com- impressive or competitive this year. Jim, I think the biggest takeaway for me from this game were the performances of three players, and you can go into them as much as you want to after I list them. I think the two big contributions came from Jake Gensel, who had a three-point game, and Evgeny Malkin, who also had a three-point game, and it was also interesting from the goaltending perspective matt murray finishes the game with an 893 save percentage making 25 saves on 28 shots and we'll get into matt murray specifically in a little bit i know we have some some talk uh in regards to a question or questions in the mailbag but those are the three big contributors that i look at from this detroit game jim 
Was there anything else that you want to add on that you saw that intrigued you throughout this game? Not too much intrigued me. The Red Wings are just a dreadful, dreadful team this year. They're easily the worst team in the league, which I know a lot of people thought that might be the Ottawa Senators coming into this year, but Detroit has blown them away. As of when we're taping this, they haven't won a game since November 12th, and they're just piling up the losses. I saw a stat that four NHL teams have fired their coaches since the last Red Wing win, so that just it, it's bad, and that's about all I took. I saw the Penguins had a quote after the game that said, basically, like, we just stopped once they got up 4-1, I think they let off the gas too much, and that's kind of how Detroit, because they have young players who don't quit. We saw that even last season at the tail end of last regular season. They were playing very hard down the stretch, and they did kind of show a little life there at the end, but that game was over, and everyone knew it who was there watching, or you knew the Pens were going to win, so they just kind of took care of business. But yeah, to your point, Jake Gensel was awesome that game. Evgeny Malkin was great as well. And those are the types of players that the Red Wings do not have. And the Penguins have two of them. And those guys made all the difference in the world to, to help push Pittsburgh out early. And they held on. And with that, the Penguins followed up with a game against the Montreal Canadiens on December 10th in a losing effort. Uh, the Canadians taking that game by a score of four to one. Jim, I was I had the opportunity to go to this game watch firsthand what the Canadians were like. I really, in all honesty, I was not expecting a lot from the Canadians uh, compared to where the Penguins had been uh, starting this three-game homestand. And they had won before last night's loss. They had won five in a row at PPG Paints Arena. But Jim, I, I think you and I can both agree that the tail of this game really came down to the, the second period, one where the Canadians took the lead away from the Penguins. It really... Jim, if you look at this game, it started out great. You couldn't ask for a better start for the Penguins with, uh, I believe it was Jake Gensel scoring the opening goal on what really was an empty net goal. Carey Price was way out of position. Early on, the Penguins take the momentum, and really throughout the first period, Jim, it, it was a really strong period, I thought, for the Penguins. And I thought they were gonna, going to carry this momentum over into the second period. And uh, really things, like I said, they spiraled out of control with Joel Armia and Thomas Tatar registering two of the three goals that they would score in the second period. Yeah, it was, you're going to have games like this throughout an 82-game season, um, you know, and especially, I think, uh, in terms of the Penguins, you know, they, they had been on an impressive streak. I believe it was a three-game three game winning streak, five-game home winning streak, like I had stated earlier. So you're going to have a sloppy games like this. Really, nothing of note that I can take from this game other than, Tristan Jari now owns the Penguins franchise record for a the longest shutout streak with 177 minutes and 15 seconds, which, Jim, I don't know if you know this, the record of the, the previous record of this shutout streak was held by Tomas Vokun, uh, uh, quite, quite a name. You wouldn't think that Vokun, of all goaltenders that the Penguins have had in their history, would hold the, would have been holding the franchise shutout streak, but Jari's going to have games like this. The team's going to have games like this, especially when all of the stars are not in the lineup dealing with injuries. Uh, is there anything you want to add to this game against the Canadians? I love what, I mean, what you said, you pretty much nailed a lot of it. What really stood out to me as a point you kind of brushed on that second period for the pens was just terrible. They gave up three goals and especially they gave up a goal with 15 seconds left that Shea Weber of all people darted in the zone and John Reno kind of let him go and Chris Letang couldn't catch up on time and Jari wasn't playing the wraparound as well as maybe he should have and 
you know, that that making it a 3-1 game going into the second intermission instead of a 2-1 game, which it would have been, really seemed to zap a lot of the momentum out of the Penn sales. And, yeah, they, they were rough that last 10 minutes or so of the second period. Um, you can look. They gave up another power play goal, which I think is unfortunately becoming a trend that the Penguins' power, or penalty kill, which started out so red hot at the beginning of the season, has really downgraded into to becoming a liability, really, and the power play isn't picking up the difference. So that hurts right now is when the special teams aren't rolling well with all the injuries that the P- Pittsburgh has. You would hope that they're minimizing mistakes like that and hopefully just gutting out wins. And it's tough to do that when your penalty kill is slumping and when your power play is slumping and when you give up a goal to go down two goals instead of one goal so late in the period. That's backbreakers, and yeah, like you said, it'll happen. You can't win all your home games. I think that was their first loss since the end of October at home at PBG Paints. So it's certainly, they they were on a good run, and they have two more home games here coming up before hitting the road, so hopefully they can get back because traditionally the Penguins play very, very well at home, so they'll just have to get on another streak. That they will, and they will look to kickstart that streak that you mentioned tonight, later tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets in a divisional showdown at PPG Pants Arena. Uh, but Jim, looking at moving forward, we're, we're going to switch it up a little bit and do something fun, something that we haven't done so far, I don't believe, on the podcast, and that is a player of the week. And Jim, I, I don't know if there are two players in mind that I think you and I are both going to gravitate towards unless there is someone out of left field that you don't pick. Uh, but I'll go first for my player of the week, and this player of the week ranges from when our last episode went out one week ago we'll go one week increments if we are to continue this player of the week segment from december 4th through december 11th 2019 my player of the week is jake gensel i don't know if you were going with him jimmy but over his last five games dating back well december 4th against the st louis blues he was held off the score sheet he registered one assist against the arizona coyotes on december 6th uh, three points, like I mentioned, he registered three points along with Evgeny Malkin in the game against the Red Wings. And most recently, in the last game against the Canadians, he did register one goal. And uh, I was listening to the Penguins radio network on the drive home from the game last night. And uh, it really is incredible. Jake Gensel already having 17 goals in 31 games played, 32 points total in the 31 games played. Uh, I'm not a mathematician, especially not off the top of my head. I don't know what kind of sh- what kind of pace he is on, but Jim, one thing's for certain: they have found a superstar. If they haven't already, they have found a superstar and likely the next long-term winger in Pittsburgh in Jake Gensel. That's a good call, and that is a 45-goal pace that he's on at this point, which is awesome because, you know, he scored 40 last year, and at least I know I was thinking, where does Jake Gensel go from here? How do you possibly top a 40-goal year? We saw James Neal have one a few years ago now, and then he kind of faded away and had injuries and eventually got traded. So to see Gensel not only pick up where he left off is is good. Um, I did have him considered – but he is not my pick. He was not going to be my pick. Um, I, I Certainly, he's worthy of it. And another player you mentioned, Evgeny Malkin, also is for his contributions. But, I mean, come on. You got to go with the guy who just set a franchise record for this club that's over 50 years old now. And Tristan Jari, who recorded two shutouts this past week. We're, we're calling the week uh, against the St. Louis Blues, you know, the defending cup champs. Great team. 
then had to do it again against Arizona Coyotes. Phil Kessel's return. Phil Kessel had a lot of good scoring chances, and Tristan Jari was very excellent in that game as well to hold the Pens win to nothing. Even though he did give up three goals in a loss against Montreal, um, I didn't think there was too much he was going to going to be able to do about it and the pens only scored one goal and when you score one goal it's tough to win obviously so my player of the week is the goalie Tristan Jari very very I guess uh worthy worthy pick worthy is the word I'm looking for in regard to your player of the week as well uh the main segment will be devoted to this week it'll be devoted to two players who I want to talk about and two players who are going in the opposite direction, two players that we have discussed at length on the podcast in recent weeks. But these two players, I think, are interesting in that these are really the two big acquisitions that general manager Jim Rutherford focused on in the offseason. And I know we'll, we'll get into some more hypothetical trade talk later on in the mailbag segment. But Jim, the two players that I want to look at are Dominic Cahoon and Alex Gauchenyuk. And like I said at the start, We've talked about these players quite a bit individually, but seeing how these are the two big fish that Jim Rutherford pulled into Pittsburgh, and especially looking at Gauchenyuk uh, being the one that seemingly has to replace Phil Kessel and filling those shoes, which certainly isn't an easy task, it really is a tale of two forwards going in opposite directions. And really, both of these forwards, Jim, if you look at it, they really started out in similar similar places. One's kicked it into another gear, and one has seemingly stayed and really not gotten off to the best start. I mean, we've played 30 games now. You can't really keep saying that this isn't the this isn't the earlier, mid or late part of October. You know, there there's I think there's enough of a sample size, even with the injuries that these forwards have sustained, to really get a good grasp on what these players are at this point in the season and what I was what I want to say the main point I want to bring up is Dominic Cahoon has seemingly exploded after a slow start many people including myself were wary of what Dominic Cahoon was going to bring to this team especially after the slow start that he had we knew he was young and we knew he had speed those were two key assets that Rutherford was looking to to bring to this team uh, as he geared towards this season. But now we're at game 30, and he has 17 points, eight goals in 30 games. Really respectable, and he's really turned it on over the last, I'd say, what, week and a half, two, two and a half weeks. Really encouraging signs from a, a bottom six player who really, if you think about it, Jim, I, I think Dominic Cahoon has a little bit of that versatility that the Penguins like. He could be slotted on that second line or first line if he has to. Maybe not right now, considering the chemistry that Malkin Rust and Gensel have, but I like what I'm seeing so far from Dominic Cahoon, and the opposite can be said for Alex Galchenyuk. And we're going to get in. We're going to get into more Galchenyuk talk. Unfortunately, for those who are tired of it, I'm, it might be a little bit repetitive, but it's one of the hotter issues to talk about at this with this team at the time with all of these injuries out. More of these players are going to be magnified and looking for more contributions, while some of the stars are on the shelf. So, Jim, I'll flip the script over to you. In regards to Cahoon's production and Galchenyuk's production, are you satisfied with Cahoon's production so far? And obviously, I think I know what the answer is going to be in regards to Cahoon. And I don't know if you are really that satisfied with Galchenyuk's production thus far in the season. But looking at how these were the two big trade chips, where do these two forwards stand now at 30 games played at this point in the season? 
we said it there in opposite directions and the point you made about it getting on in the year really stands out to me because we've seen you know players by now coaches that have had them since september it's been a long time it it might not be a huge sample size but you're only going to get so big of a sample size to prove yourself and right now galchenyuk has two goals in 22 games which isn't cutting it. That's not what anybody expected that, you know, he'd be the first one to tell you that. And that's really too bad. And even right now you look at the pens, they have Sidney Crosby's out. Patrick Hornquist is out. That's two forwards on the power play. And Alex Galchenyuk is nowhere near in the mix to replace him on that top power play line. So I think that really shows you what the coaches think about him and where his status is, where his place is. Galchenyuk's playing under 10 minutes a game most of these past six or seven games. He's barely being used when they need offense. Like you mentioned, it pretty much has been a one-line team, no doubt, with Gensel, Malk, and Rust really carrying the weight of what the team needs. So... For Galchenyuk to not be used shows you that the Pens don't have a lot of time for him, and they don't think that he's close to breaking through. Obviously, if if they were seeing stuff to, that would lead them to believe that, hey, this guy's close, you know, he's going to start breaking out here, they'd be using him differently and in different situations, and they're just not. And then on the flip side of things is Dominic Cahoon. He has 15 points in his last 18 games played after he started the season with only two points in 12 games. So he's just gone the complete 180 opposite direction. If these guys are moving on different tracks, you know, one's headed north, one's headed south. And Cahoon is a guy, like you mentioned, he can play. It doesn't seem to matter to him if he's playing left wing, right wing, if he's playing with some scorers on the second line or maybe more grinders on the third and fourth line, like Bluger and Czar and Lafferty, or if he's playing with McCann and Hornquist, you know, he's still doing well, and he's finding ways to help the team. He's finding ways to put the puck in the net, which that obviously draws attention, and that brings more good things to come. So, yeah, uh, right now I was kind of surprised, especially since Cahoon didn't start the season well at all. He's a guy that we had talked about here even as maybe being a healthy scratch if the team got hurt. So maybe in a, a kind of twisted way, at least individually for Dominic Cahoon, it's a good thing that the Pens had some injuries for him because it allowed him to stay in the lineup and kind of play through his adjustment period. And that's something that Galchenyuk, you know, he got hurt and then he never seemed to catch on or he never seemed to do it right and get in the good graces of the team. I saw some stuff that, you know, they're not using him with Malkin anymore because apparently they both like to drift to the middle of the ice and they need wingers to go to the net for Malkin. And um, Galchenyuk doesn't do that. We saw that last night. Brian Rust went to the net with a puck on a stick, made a pass to Gensel. He scored from right in front. That's the type of like drive to the net mentality you need to play with Malkin and succeed. And it doesn't look like Galchenyuk's displayed enough of that for the coach's liking. So I don't know where they go from here. I don't know if you think they'll have have more time or or what for Galchenyuk. Um, obviously, he's still kind of lucky, too, that there's no Bukestad, there's no Hornquist, there's no Crosby. So th there's still spots, and who knows? I guess we'll see if he gets more of an opportunity or probably more importantly plays his way into more of an opportunity for himself. Yeah, I can't really say much more than you said right there in regards to Galchenyuk. Uh, I saw him in person, like I said, at the game against the Canadians the other night, and I don't think he was completely invisible, but I really didn't notice him that that often, whether that be because he is only getting, like, I think, I think nine minutes of ice time, roughly nine minutes of ice time a night. Uh, it's just 
not obviously what anybody expected. And you made a great point in saying right at the end there that he's fortunate that there are still spots available. I believe Jim Rutherford said in an interview, if I'm not mistaken, that had there been, had everyone been healthy, had Bukestad and Crosby, Hornquist, had everyone been healthy, Galchenyuk would have had to work harder to earn a spot in this lineup. And so far, I with we, we keep saying with every podcast episode, a goal scorer only needs one. Maybe this will be the goal that, maybe this will be the game that Galchenyuk finally turns it around and we're still waiting. I mean, we're almost at Christmas time, New Year's, and we're still waiting and waiting and waiting, hoping that Galchenyuk can turn it on. Uh, I'm 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 sorry, but as harsh as it is, I don't know how much more longer I'm going to hold my breath in regards to letting the coaching staff and letting me see what Galchenyuk can do as a positive contributor on this team when seemingly there are guys like your Cahoons, your Lafferty's, who seem hungrier and they they want to be better. They they want to earn their spot in the lineup. I'm not saying Galchenyuk is a lazy player by any means, but there comes a point, especially with someone's pedigree like Gauchenyuk, there comes a point where you have to produce. And if you're not producing, the bottom line is there are guys who are going to produce and you'll find yourself in the press box most nights rather than on the ice. And it's just the team fit thing too. If I think you have a good point that Galchenyuk isn't, is kind of more invisible than he should be. And I agree with what you said that it's not that he's not trying hard or that he's dogging it. I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, it could be a cold streak. It could just be down confidence. It could be pure bad luck to not be able to score more than he has been. But if you're not going to fit with Evgeny Malkin, you know, where does that leave you on this Penguins team? You know, he's not Galchenyuk isn't going to be a guy that play with Crosby probably for any reason. There's no reason to give him that assignment if he's not doing well now. Right now he's playing with Sam Lafferty, who started the year in the minors, and Stefan Nason, who started the year in the minors. So those guys are kind of energy grinder type third, fourth lane guys. And Galchenyuk really doesn't fit with that. You would think he would need more skilled players, more playmakers to feed off of and feed them the pucks. And that hasn't happened. And um, I agree with what you said as well about, you know, we're all counting on maybe a breakout. And he has scored, you know, his two goals have come in the past couple weeks here, one earlier against St. Louis last week, but it just doesn't look like he's gotten any traction or been able to follow that up. And that that's really been the surprising thing to me because, yeah, maybe a goal scorer starts slow, maybe he gets hurt and it takes him a while to get going. Like, yeah, we've seen that before. Usually after that, you know, once a guy gets one or two, then they'll go on a good streak and score a few goals in a few games and and really get hot like Kahuna's done even in the past few games. And that's never come for Galchanyuk, and it's it's very strange why that is. Um, no one has the answers right now. I'm sure the player wishes he had answers to help the team out more. I'm sure the team wish they had answers as to where to use them or how to use them. They've certainly tried to move them around and do a lot of things with them, but Unfortunately, nothing's really paid off to this point for him. And I agree with you. And those comments Rutherford made mean a lot that, you know, this guy isn't necessarily going to be on this team. And if if it's healthy, if he's not going to, and by on the team, I mean in the lineup. And if he's saying in the lineup, though, he basically means on the team in general because there's no reason to keep Galchenyuk as a healthy scratch in the last year of his contract like this. They'll have to figure out a way somehow to trade him. And who knows what that would be for. But 
it's hard to see him just on the team and not in a big role either. He's going to have to get it together and produce. And who knows, every game is an opportunity. You never know what can happen. So either he does that, or I think that probably before the trade deadline, we'll be talking soon enough about what he got traded for and if that can help out more than him. That we will, Jim. It'll be interesting to see, like you said, where the Penguins go from here, especially when all the healthy bodies get back into the lineup. Uh, switching gears now, Jim, we will head into our mailbag segment. Uh, for longtime listeners, first-time listeners, if you're interested in submitting a question into the Pennsburg Podcast mailbag, all you have to do is follow our Twitter account at Pod at PennsburgPOD. Uh, every Tuesday, every Tuesday of every week, I will send out a tweet from the Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. It is a really fun segment. I really encourage any listener who does have a Twitter, who's looking to create a Twitter, who wants to participate and let their voice be heard, let their thoughts and opinions be heard in this mailbag segment to do so. So, Jim, you will get first crack at answering the first question in the mailbag segment this week. Cole Delvecchio is back, and he asks, what are some of your favorite Penguins goalie masks? That's an interesting question. Um, I can't say I think about goalie masks too much. I think other people out there like them more than me. The one that always comes to mind, of course, is Johan Hedberg, the moose from back in the day where he used to wear that blue Manitoba moose mask. And I guess that would be the one I think of. I also thought Fleury had some cool masks over the year with his little symbol on the back that was the front sign and his uh grandparents initials i thought that was really cool so i guess those would be mine garrett did you have any strong thoughts or opinions on goaltender mass i know a lot of people a lot of fans and a lot of goaltenders for that matter take masks very seriously you know just a, like a a way to express themselves and what they like i did some research into this oh okay and this was this, <laughs> was, be, this was before my time probably during your time, Jim, but the Penguins' backup goaltender to Tom Barrasso uh, in the early to mid-90s, Ken Reggett. Ken uh, Reggett, he's a legend. So I, I did some research. He, the, the picture I'm looking at right now, it's the, the, the picture of the, what what I guess what we'd call nowadays the, the robo-penguin, uh, and he's in a robo-penguin jersey, as a matter of fact, and it looks like he has, it, it just screams 1990s to me, it looks like he has a bunch of like weird geometrical shapes, almost like confetti, uh, black and gold confetti with a penguin, with a nice penguin logo at the bottom of the mask. And if I keep looking, it looks like he has a picture of the penguin, Danny DeVito. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. I was going to say he has the Danny DeVito penguin, also screams very 1990s. That's a cool mask. So, yeah, I guess Ken Reggett had some good ones over the years. So, yeah, I'll go with Ken Reggett as Let's probably research my... for the win. That paid off. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Our next question comes from PGH Paint Bucket and Brian Ruska. I, I'm totally sorry if I butchered your name. But they both ask, uh, what is the likely scenario do you see playing out with Galchenyuk? It would be hard to break up Gino, Rust, and Gensel when Sid gets back, right? Maybe Galchenyuk goes with Crosby. Is that a possibility? Uh, or does Jim Rutherford look to move him? Good question, guys. Um, I t we touched on this a little earlier. I do think, as of now, if I had to guess, I would think the Penguins probably look to move him. Um, what they do with Jake Gensel would be very interesting when Crosby is ready to return. And 
I mean, Malkin's been playing great with Gensel, but we've seen so much history with Gensel and Crosby. It makes me believe, you know, by April, it's going to be Crosby and Gensel are back together. That's just my hunch is that eventually they'll go back to what with what they know works so well, and that's Sid and Jake together. Um, so maybe does Galchenyuk, if he's still around by then, get one more crack with Malkin? Maybe. I, I mean, maybe you hope that. Or obviously the next best thing is you trade Galchenyuk for something to for like a winger to play with Malkin, I, I would think would be the scenarios that could play out there. But a lot's still probably up in the air, so we'll see. Our next question comes to us from Zach Jarrett, who says, with Jerry with Tristan Jerry seeming to come into his own as a capable NHL starting goalie, can we expect a move of either him or Matt Murray this offseason? And what would the playoff payoffs be for each player? I think we touched on this in a question last week, if I'm not mistaken, but we'll talk about it again, especially since more games have been played and started by Tristan Jari to this point. Um, looking at each player's last five games, and we've talked about the the franchise record shutout streak at this point. Uh, Jari has three wins in his last five games dating back to November 27th. And really, it's a pretty strong resume whereas Matt Murray has seemingly struggled over his last five games dating back to November 19th. Uh, and he only has one win in his last five games started as well. The save percentages too for Matt Murray, all below 900. Uh, and the game against the Canucks on November 27th with a 714 save percentage, that sticks out really glaringly. So it's it's a tale of two goalies going in the opposite direction right now with Murray struggling and Tristan Jari seemingly uh still riding a hot streak the more uh, the more i watched jari early on jim i i just thought it was like a, a nice little streak he was on and it was a, like a a nice little you know nice little run of play but the more i watch jari i'm starting to become more convinced that this isn't just a little streak I, this might be this might be the 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 coming into his own as an nhl goal as an nhl goaltender as the question suggests so uh, are the penguins going to for going to shell out money for Matt Murray's next contract which you uh, which you w- would assume would be a much larger payday probably at least 6 million or are they going to let Murray w- walk the the guy who has two Stanley Cups to his name I have a hard time believing that they're just going to let Murray go it's a good problem to have if you're Jim Rutherford especially especially Rutherford himself being a former NHL goaltender. So he knows the the pitfalls and powers of what two capable goalies can do on a starting roster. Uh, but getting back to the original question, would either of them be moved in the offseason? Right now, I'll say no. I'll say that they'll keep both goaltenders. I think they'll find a way. If, I think Jim Rutherford can find a way to keep both of them. Now, what kind of pay raise is Murray going to get? I don't know. What would the payoffs be for each player? Well, considering Murray has two Stanley Cups uh, and he is looking for a larger extension and he already has a pretty credible resume, regular season resume and playoff resume to his name, Jim, you would think that the the payout for Murray trade in return would be obviously much more larger, maybe a, a couple of big name prospects. I don't know where Murray would go at this point in the season if he was traded in the offseason, who does need goalie help, but it's an interesting scenario, one that keeps coming up. I think people in this town just love to debate goalies 
ever since Marc-Andre Fleury left town, but that's a story for another day. Uh, so, Jim, is there anything you want to add to, again, to the Murray-Jari debate at this point? Uh, that sounds good to me. I mean, I know right now it, it definitely seems like Tristan Jari is the best goal in the world and Matt Murray can't stop anything. I, I think there's a really big tendency with goalies to, I don't want to say overreact, but just be so sensitive to what has immediately happened that uh, there's a lot of the year left to play out and we'll see. I, I agree with your overall point right now. Uh, Jim Rutherford loves his goalies. He loves to keep goalies. I don't see him getting rid of either of them because both are restricted free agents. So that means they're back in Pittsburgh next year at least. So I, I think that the Pens will keep both unless something drastic happens that, you know, Murray just is terrible all year long. Or if Jari is excellent all year long, maybe they do decide to move away from Murray a little. But I mean, that's that's just speculation at this point, because the year is really just beginning as far as the important games are still so much more to come. The always reliable Sammy Bagel Jr., other than Taylor Hall, what other UFAs do you see the Penguins chasing this year? I have three other than Hall on my short list. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know if they would do this. I don't know if he's a huge fit for the way Mike Sullivan likes to play. But Tyler Toffoli out in Los Angeles, I think, would be a no-brainer just because his team isn't going anywhere. He's a free agent. Uh, that's the guy you have to check in on. Um. What do you think? Do you have anyone else on, on top of your mind, Garrett? Tyler, as a matter of fact, Toffoli came to my mind when looking at the question other than Hall. I don't know who, I don't know at this point in the season, whether it comes out through rumors, leaks or not, who would be, you know, those, those big name wingers who would be in line to go at the trading deadline. I don't think at this point in the season, I don't know if there's really a lot out there that we can make other than the Taylor Hall scenario and Tyler Toffoli, like you said. Um, True. There's not much out there. Um, yeah. Just for free guys who are free agents at the end of this year and maybe not coming back, you look at the Rangers. I still don't think many expect them to be a playoff team. Who knows if they think they are, but they'll, they have Chris Kreider who's expiring. And I know Penguins fans will kind of recoil like, Oh, not that guy, but. I think that's a guy, you know, he's big, he's strong, he goes to the net. If he's a guy on your team, I think you feel differently about him than playing against him. So that would be a guy, you know, if the Rangers fall out of it a little and, and they're looking to move on, to me, he pops out. And then my other player who I don't think they would really chase anymore because I think they're pretty happy with their defense, which I don't know if they totally should be, but um, – a name I've mentioned before, either on the website or on this podcast, TJ Brody from Calgary Flames. You can never have enough good defensemen. And Calgary, again, is a team that's not really going anywhere. And this is a player who, who was a first-pair guy for them for a long time, and now he's a second- or third-pair guy. So I think he could be a guy, you know, if the price is right, that they would move on from as well. So that, to me, would be the guys, you know, I wouldn't be interested in if I was with the Pens. Yeah, the Brody call is really interesting. I agree with you. You can never have too many good defensemen, especially for a team who's looking to lock down a playoff spot or looking for a long playoff run again to maximize. And for a team whose defensemen always get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) The the longer that we have to rely on Jack Johnson being a top four defenseman, uh, it's... Although, Jim, I did see Jack Johnson is an all-star. Well, sort of of an all-star. He's an all-star at... uh, 
what what was it, Jim? What what did you post? The he it was his auction. The Penguins Holiday Christmas auction bag. Like all the players, I I think it's really their wives and girlfriends put together these baskets every year. And like a lot of times, it'll have the players' jersey that they'll sign or a hat they'll sign or stuff like that. A couple of them have game tickets and. You know, there's some cool stuff. Some have some like wine. Some have like random movies and stuff that the players like. Like Brian Russ had a lot of golf stuff since he likes to golf. And Jack Johnson's gift swag is just off the charts awesome. There's like two thousand dollars of between like airplane tickets, Ticketmaster vouchers, and for a hotel in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with the idea if you win his package. He's basically taking you on a vacation to Florida when the Pens go there in February. And that's a good time to get out of Pittsburgh and go down to Miami is in February. So the Jack Johnson train there, like you can do what you want, but he put a lot of effort into that and time. And they, you know, they're showing out their own money for this. So it's for a great cause. And I was just giving him some props because his, his basket was just far and away way better than everybody else's. Don't forget to, uh, you can fan vote Jack Johnson into the... Yeah, NHL I wouldn't advise that. I would bid or give charity to pennies for heaven for, for that cause. Don't don't send him the All-Star game. That's that's too much. But, no, Jim, that's a good boost of the trade value. You know some... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, we're going to trick... Some GM will fall for that. I mean, yeah. Eric Branson... Somebody trade for Eric Branson this year, so why not Jack Johnson? Absolutely. So don't forget, I'll plug it for the rest of the way through the All-Star break. Uh, vote for Jack Johnson... <laughs> for the 2020 NHL All-Star Game. Uh, Jim, do you have anything you want to add before we get out of here? No, I think we're about out of here next next week, episode 29. I wonder who's going to be the Penguins Player of the Week for for our week and also wearing the number 29. Who knows? This will be uh, – it's not a good cliffhanger, but I guess come back and see anyways. <laughs> I have, there, you know, there are a couple 29s that I could probably think of off the top of my head. But uh, – for Jim Rexner, Hulk Sorpik, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.